Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. I want to jump ahead just for a moment. Uh, I hope you'll join us again next week. I, I have a word from the Lord that I want to share with us as a family. And then uh, in two weeks, I have, I'm starting a new series that I really want you to come and be faithful for attending uh, those four weeks. I think it's going to be a four-week series because this series, all, all the series have the potential to, to touch your life and change your life. But this particular series, I'm really, really excited about because it's going to help us and it's going to help us to help other people that really need it. So, uh, but this morning we have a special treat for you. And I'd like to introduce Al Hamaker. Come on up. He's going to be sharing with us today. Al? Yeah. Hey. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, Pastor Mark asked me several weeks ago if I would mind uh, giving a message to the church. And uh, I hesitated a little bit. And then I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And I didn't know what I would talk about, and so I asked Pastor Mark uh, about that, and he said he usually talks about fellowship on fifth Sundays, and so I thought, okay, that sounds good, but that's pretty wide <laughs> subject area. So those of you in small groups who've been with me, they know that when I get a subject, I start going down the research road, and I think part of it is Holy Spirit leads me as I research, because sometimes I come across some research and I read it and say, well, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't look right. And so I, I move on. Um, but um, first of all, I'm, I'm really honored that Pastor Mark would let me have the, the podium today. It's a big responsibility to, to talk about the Lord and about his word and to give his word. And hopefully you'll get something out of, out of uh, what I have to say today. Today, I, I wanted to talk about something that um, is called the Agape Feast. How many of you have heard of the Agape Feast, except from maybe me? Oh, Dale. Dale's heard of the Agape Feast. <laughs> um, and so uh, how I came across that was, uh, you know, when talking about fellowship, of course, I thought of the Lord's Supper. So I, I read about the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, I mean. And, um, and then I, I started reading about, well, when I was growing up as a kid, we called communion the Lord's Supper. And as a kid, you don't really understand the significance, the, the spiritual significance of the Lord's Supper. But as a kid, I would say, wow, that's not much of a supper. I mean, it's a wafer and a thimble of grape juice and, um, or wine. But um, so I, I, thought, I thought I'd look into why it's called the Lord's Supper because that ties into communion and it ties into fellowship. And then I'll tie it into the agape feast, so you all know what that is. Um, first of all, I just wanted to talk about the various names of communion, so, so to know where the Lord's the term the Lord's Supper comes from. Well, of course, the first word is communion, and um, the reference to communion is found in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, and I'm just going to read that to you. Verse 16, when we bless the cup 
at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? The word sharing in those verses translates from Greek called koinomia. I'm going to mess up some of these ancient terms, but koinomia. Koinomia is defined in Webster as the Christian fellowship or body of believers. So sharing, koinomia. The intimate spiritual communion and participative sharing in a common religious commitment and spiritual community. So um, koinomia is uh, communion, which means a sharing. And, and we, of course, we share um, in remembering our redemption you know, through Jesus. And we also are reminded of our covenant relationship with him and with God. Communion helps unite us with other believers. So that's, that's uh, communion. When we take communion on Sunday, I'd, I'd like to think of it as, a, uh, as an intimate spiritual communion and participating with each other in remembering what Jesus did for us. Um, another term for communion is the Lord's table. And uh, I just read one verse that references the Lord's table, but there's another verse, 1 Corinthians 10.21. And it says, you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. Um, in Roman times, they used to have dinner parties and they used to set up these tables for their deities. They put food on it, things like that. And Christians would set up a table for the Lord. So it became known as the Lord's table. And of course, they're honoring God when they participate in communion. Then we have the Lord's Supper, which is what led me down this path. Um, okay. Bear with me. The Lord's Supper. And it's 1 Corinthians 11.20. It says, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. And uh, this phrase calls to mind the Last Supper of Jesus Christ. Um, th this was where Paul was complaining about uh, some people were taking excesses during the Lord's Supper, eating too much, drinking too much. Some people would bring extra food and not share it with others. Uh, but he references in here the Lord's Supper. And this phrase calls to mind the Last Supper of Jesus Christ, right? And to a sacrifice for our sins. Uh, at the Last Supper, Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. And the Passover meal was commanded by God in remembrance of God's deli deliverance of the um, Israelites from Egypt. Um, in Exodus 12, 14, for instance, it says, this is a day to remember. Now, I'm talking about the Passover meal now. This is a day to remember. Each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. And this is the law for all time. So it's interesting that Jesus, during the Passover meal, sort of transferred the remembrance of the Exodus to the remembrance of him. Um, also, um, in uh, Luke twenty-two nineteen, 19, uh, Luke says, he took some bread, meaning Jesus, and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his, his disciples saying, 
This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So it's kind of a passing from the Passover remembrance of the Exodus to our Exodus. Our Exodus from control of sin and death over us to the freedom of sin and freedom from death. Um, and so uh, that's, that's what uh, brings to mind when we mention the Lord's Supper, right? Then there's the, the Eucharist. Some of you have heard of communion referred to as the Eucharist, right? Um, in Luke twenty-two nineteen, 19, it says he took, took some, I'm reading the same verse here. He took some bread, bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to, his, to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So in here, there's the, the phrase, gave thanks. He took some bread and gave thanks to God. And the phrase, gave thanks, comes from the Greek word, eucharistio, or eucharistio, something like that. Anyway, the, the Greek lexicon defines this word as meaning to be grateful, to be thankful to give thanks. So part of communion is to be grateful, to be feel thankful, and to give thanks for what Jesus, Jesus did for us. Uh, the, root word for the root word in Eucharistio is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, and it means joy and pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. All that ties into or should tie into communion, because that's part of the celebration of what Jesus did for us, right? Um, Eucharistio is a word that um, the Eucharist comes from, and it relates to being thankful to God for the food and drink that we receive. Relating to communion, of course, means more. We are thankful for Jesus Christ, in whom we are redeemed. And then there's the term, the breaking of bread. Have any of you have any of you heard that term used for communion? The breaking of bread? All right, the breaking, I, I love these verses. Uh, but the breaking of bread means sharing a meal, of course. And uh, this brings up the, um, the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Um, anybody know where Emmaus is? Emmaus or was. Emmaus was about uh, 7 to 15 miles west of Jerusalem. Um, and two disciples were on the road to Emmaus. And I'm going to read from Luke 24, 13 through 31. Um, starting on verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. Isn't that interesting? God kept them from recognizing him. I was wondering, I'm wondering how Jesus felt knowing that they didn't recognize him, but Jesus knowing who they were. Um, maybe chuckling. But anyway, he asked them, uh, verse 17, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Verse 18, then one of them, Cleopas replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. Of course, he was. What happened? 
Um, and Jesus says on verse 19, what things? Jesus asked. They say, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. So, of course, you know, we've read about how the people who followed Jesus back then thought that he would become the king of Israel and, and defeat Rome and, and free them. But, of course, that wasn't Jesus' intent. It wasn't the earthly kingdom. It was the spiritual kingdom that he was establishing. Verse 22. Then some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Now, you know, they're talking to Jesus. Some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the um, all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wow. Imagine Jesus himself giving them the Old Testament verses, I guess, to expose what he was really meant to do. And that can you imagine being taught by Jesus, the, the, the author of the Old Testament? Um, and, and these disciples were must have been truly enthralled because the next few verses will show this. Uh, verse 28. By this time they were nearing Emmaus, and the end of their journey, and at and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if, as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it, since it is getting late. So he went home with them. So they wanted him to stay. I guess they wanted to hear, I would, maybe you would, wanted to hear more from this mysterious man, right? As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and at that moment, he disappeared. He broke bread, and that's when they recognized him. And, and that's one of the verses that is used to, to talk about communion. Um, so finally, coming back to the agape feast, right? Um, there's something called, it's called the love feast, or the agape feast, or the love, fe love meal, or agape meal. And I thought that that'd be appropriate for this fifth Sunday, the chili cook-off. Um, Jude indirectly refers to the agape feast. Um, Jude 1, verse 12. It says, when these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, commemorating the, the, loves, the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. 
Now, here Jude is talking about false teachers who come into the believer's fellowship, uh, pretending, you know, they're wolves in sheep's clothing type of people. And these false teachers are described as blemishes at your love feasts, Jude 1.12. The, the ESV calls the pretenders hidden reefs, hidden reefs. You know, you're on a boat and you hit a hidden reef and it sinks the boat. Pointing up the dangerous nature of false teachers and their potential to shipwreck Christians. Um, but but that's another sermon. What uh, what I wanted to to um, point to was in verse twelve when it says, "These people eat with you in your fellowship meals." And and the fellowship meals is a translation of the Greek word agapais. Agapais has been translated into love feasts in most English translations. You look through the different translations, and most of them will say agapes means love feasts. And most Bible scholars and historians believe that communion in the early church, you know, this is when there were new Christians, there were no church buildings, you know, no churches. So people met in each other's homes, or they rented rooms, or there might be some public facilities, but usually they met in each other's homes. And uh, they would share a meal with each other. And as part of the meal, they would have communion. Just like the Last Supper, they were celebrating Passover. They were eating a Passover meal. And then the Lord instituted communion. And so the early Christian church uh, members, our, our early ancestors, our early brothers and sisters, um, would have these meals called agape feasts. Um, and these were common, available to everyone who visited the home church. They would partake in, in the meal. The food was supplied by the church members and, and the host. Um, There's a minister that lived in the 1800s, and he said the purpose of the agape feast was to strengthen the bonds and spirit of harmony, goodwill, congeniality among the church family, as well as to forgive past disputes instead of love one another, and, and instead love one another. Um, the, the agape feast fell out of practice sometime during or after Constantine rules, uh, Constantine's rule. He was the emperor of Rome from 306 to 337 AD. And uh, the agape feast started to fall out of practice as, a communion, uh, as communion became more formalized and the uh, sacramentally oriented. And uh, Christians began meeting in church buildings. And so that was part of the cause because there was a council uh, of church leaders called Council of Laodicea in 364. And they outlawed agape meals in churches. Um, it's Canon 28 of the Council of Laodicea. And it says, it is not permitted to hold love feasts, as they are called, in the Lord's houses or churches, nor to eat and to spread couches in the house of God. So it became more formalized. I guess they wanted to keep the churches clean, right? But part of it was um, hailing back to Jude and, and something that Paul said was some people would show up with lots of food and wouldn't share it. Other people would show up hungry and not have much to eat. Some people would drink too much wine. Uh, and, and people were taking advantage and losing the real purpose of the agape meal, 
which was sharing and fellowship and communion. Um, and that, that's why I like the fifth Sunday, Pastor Mark, Pastor Christine. The fifth Sunday harkens back, I think, to when the church family got together. You know, we bring part of the meal. Uh, lots of times at fifth, uh, fifth Sunday, there's, uh, you know, some parts are provided by the church, but we all meet as a church family and uh, get together for a, a meal to celebrate each other with, you know, of course, Christ at the head. And so when we gather today for the chili cook-off, uh, let's use today's meal to strengthen uh, the bonds and spirit of harmony between us. Um, if there's any past disputes, then use it as, as a forgiveness of past disputes and, and love one another, one, love one another, all right? Um, and make it a point that if you normally have a relationship with somebody in the church you know, then at the chili cook-off, try and sit with somebody that you don't know as well and learn something about them. Um, and in, in closing, there's a, uh, there's a prayer by an evangelist who lived in the 17th century that I think is appropriate as we celebrate this fifth Sunday with our agape meal. So let's bow our heads and... It's a very short prayer, but I think it, it just summarizes what, what, I, what my message is today. Dear Lord, be present at our table, Lord. Be here and everywhere adored. Thy creatures bless and grant that we may feast in paradise with thee. Amen. Man, thank you, Al. Great, great job. Great, great job. And uh, I really like that you emphasized uh, this this thing of fellowship. I mean, that this is the primary reason that we do Fifth Sundays, so that we can spend time together as a family and uh, just enjoy one another's company. And this is what family is all about. And we're going to be spending a lot of time together, I think, in the future when we go to heaven. And I don't know what all that's going to be like, but I know that we have the, the privilege, the opportunity now to enjoy one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to build these relationships that are not only important for today and next month and six months from now, but will last for eternity. I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe this morning God is speaking to your heart and He's calling you back. Maybe you've walked away. Maybe you've never had a relationship with Him. And the Lord is speaking to you this morning. If that's you, would you slip up your hand and catch my eye? Anybody here? No shame in that. Maybe you're watching online and you would say, that's me. You'll just say this simple prayer. It's not about the words. It's about the expression in your heart to the Lord. If you'll just say, dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I receive your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. 
I thank you for this new start today. I thank you for this new beginning. And I receive you now in my life. And all that that entails, forgiveness of my sins, your grace, your mercy poured out on me, eternal life with you. And that you will begin this transformation in my heart. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, I want to pray one more prayer with you. Lord, I pray for those that have either rededicated their life to you today or given their life to you maybe for the first time. And I pray as they read your word, it will come alive. I pray as they spend time in prayer that they will hear your Holy Spirit speaking to their hearts. Lord, I pray that they would open their hearts to receive everything that you have for them and that you would help them to yield to you and that you would fill them with this great joy that comes from having this relationship with you. So Lord, I ask this in the almighty and the all-powerful name of Jesus, not only for those that prayed this prayer today, but for all of us. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name.